Hey, Never Sleepers, thank you for checking out this special Friday edition of Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network. I'm your host, Alex Ross. I had an incredibly enlightening chat with filmmaker Alexander Carson as we promote the Toronto screenings of his feature film, Oh Brazen Age, screening tonight, March 24th, and tomorrow, March 25th, at the Carlton Cinemas in the heart of Toronto, 20 Carlton Street at Young and Carlton. We have also linked all other Canadian screenings under this episode link at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. While you're at it, be sure to check out all new podcasts and episodes next week on Never Sleeps Network. This Monday is an all-new This Is Not A Safe Space with Nick Beaton and his guest Claire Belford. Tuesdays, an all-new You Better Don't every week with Stephen Shahori and Lisa Schwartzman. On Wednesday, an all-new The Potato Files with your host, Jeff Paul, and his guest, Matt O'Brien. On Thursday, for our comic book lovers, we have Aaron Broverman's Speech Bubble and his guest, local artist Ron Kasman. And on Friday, on Never Sleeps Network's YouTube page, an all-new episode of Phil in the starring Phil Lutzi and his chats with all the comedians at the Icebreak Comedy Festival and their last night at the Laugh Out Loud Comedy Gala hosted by CBC. Be sure to check out all this and more on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. But right now you're listening to Alexander Carson on this episode of Ross Never Sleeps. It's funny because you and I are very similar. Okay. Because when I... Because you have the same name? Well, yes. Yes. Alexander Carson, Alex Ross. You got you also have two first names. You got to be careful about people with two first names. Yeah. I know. It's really confusing. It's like my lifelong cross bear. And then when I meet people, they say, oh, you know, uh, never heard of Sandy before. Really? And I'm like, really? I've met like 20, like maybe like 30 Sandys in my life. And they're all Alexanders. They're like, really? I'm like, it's like Dick and Richard, you know? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't think it's like that. I'm like, well, listen, it is. I think it's kind of a Scottish thing. Yeah. And it gives you kind of an, an anonymity. You yeah, know? right. When I go by Sandy, it's always a little bit confused, like gender-wise, maybe a little bit confu- confusing. People don't know what to expect. And then they see a man and they're like, oh, disappointed. But other than <laughs> us having the same name or similar names, the way you approach production, it's very calculated, but not necessarily on paper, but kind of the people you bring towards your project and how this project specifically, Oh Brazen Age, mm-hmm. seems to be a mix mash of lots of different actors in the city, a lot of different artists in the city coming together to kind of portray not just like a coming of age film, which is kind of the rhetoric that you keep saying, but more so we're putting out art for art's sake. This art project is a film that encompasses all of these forms of art in one production. That's kind of why I say we're very similar because this podcast network is kind of under the same umbrella. You know, it's one person's vision, but it involves a whole whack of people to come together with their visions for one kind of ultimate goal. Can you touch on that a bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that it sort of starts with, you know, it is ultimately kind of a film about about friendship and this sort of group of friends who are maybe both, you know, still in some ways good and in some ways bad for each other after they've been kind of in each other's orbits for, you know, however many years. And so it sort of made sense 
sense to me to make it with a group of friends, you know, almost in like in a meta kind of commentary way where a lot of what we were working through, I mean, some of the people um, who were part of the cast or, or part of the crew are my very old friends and I love them. And I also, you know, on, on certain days kind of despise them or, you know, we've sort of been through mm-hmm. our, our ups and downs over the years. That's what so, friends are for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing to, Not have, at all. to have conflict in, in your relationships. And so it's very much a film about that. And so we made, so I, I guess I would say probably more than half of the people who worked on it in terms of the, the sort of core cast and the sort of creative, like, you know, the cinematographer, production designer, these people are all people who are just like, who are very good at what they do, but who are also my friends. And so, the process of making the film was almost like working through that and kind of like working through some stuff. It was sort of like a, yeah, kind of like a, a weird group therapy for all of us, I guess, <laughs> in, in, a, in a strange way, just to sort of have to tackle a series of challenges together and, and sort of team build that way. And, you know, people talk about the the various art scenes or tangents of art scenes in Toronto. And there's just like, there's so much happening. And most people who watch this, they say, they say, oh, you know, there's something familiar about this, but this is not my world that's being depicted in, um, in the film. And I think that makes sense just because there, there is such a, like a plurality of experiences and little cliques and, and sort of sub group. So the film is not really meant to be a depiction necessarily of like the Toronto art scene or, or some version of it. I guess maybe that's what it is. It's, it's kind of a stylized, almost like allegorical version of that. And so I think that if people go in expecting it to be deeply connected to what their experience of, of being, you know, an artist, a creative person, a collaborator in Toronto, that they, they might be um, setting themselves up for a kind of bizarre disappointment <laughs> because I, yeah, I don't know. What, Let's what? touch on more of the movie itself. Sure. So yeah. tell us the idea, you know, a little bit of a synopsis would be great. Sure. So I guess in, in classic uh, sort of art cinema tradition, it starts off, the film starts off doing one thing and then does a completely different thing 15, 20 minutes in. And it sort of keeps sort of changing the proposition throughout. So we open, there's two guys on a road trip in Western Quebec and they're sort of going around taking photographs in small towns. And so we sort of think, oh, this is going to be a road movie um, or it's going to be sort of like a buddy, like adventure movie about these two friends and, and this uh, sort of beguiling, strange young woman that they meet. And then it sort of ends up not being about that and it veers in this completely different direction once they get back to Toronto after their trip and they sort of reconnect with some other friends and we sort of go off and follow their story for a little while. So it's got a little bit of a multi-narrative aspect to it, but it's also... It's more of it's more of kind of a pageant of experiences uh, and sort of moments between friends in 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 this various kind of like constellation of this like social constellation of people as they're just sort of trying to work through something I guess uh, every like all the characters are sort of going through kind of a like a quarter life crisis you might say they're sort of you know post school or post graduate school and um, having no money and having you know limited direction um, and just sort of wondering what the next move is, I guess, in their life. So it's sort of, it's kind of about that, that sort of reckoning told through a series of, of semi-related little vignettes or, or side stories. It's a popular idea for the youth of today, not just in Canada, but in North America, let's say, you know, when you peak around the age of 30 or younger, there seems to be, you know, what am I doing with my life? The midlife crisis or the quarter life crisis has become such a, a thing. I don't even know. Is it a is it a promising ideal? Is it a, you know, a retrospective kind of growth that 
most 25-something-year-olds go through. With this film, are you bringing light to these situations? Are you, you know, showing the story of a few of these people that are living this kind of ideal or this dream or this nightmare? You know, it's funny. I think that the film kind of seems dark in, in some context, maybe more 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 dark or sinister than I had originally intended. But I think that that's kind of my the way that I look back on my 20s. I think it was kind of a hard time, you know. Um, I think that that period that we're sort of talking about between like, say, 25 and like your 30, 31, 32 kind of thing, when you're still sort of trying to figure it out or get some footing, you know, you can look back on, I guess I, I can look back on it with a certain reverie or a, a certain degree of nostalgia now, but it wasn't in, entirely it wasn't easy. I mean, no one said it was going to be easy, right? But it was like you know, trying to figure out how to position yourself and and not deal with a lot of existential dread about um, wanting to be an artist. I guess that that can be that can be a challenge. I think so. It's sort of about grappling with that and and sort of also framing it as like a spiritual kind of question as well, not just a practical question about like how do I actually make rent this month or or how do I kind of prove to mom and dad that my art school diploma was worth it. Um, but, you know, sort of the spiritual question about like whether, whether this work is important and whether I can kind of, um, whether it can sort of sustain and edify me and whether I can imagine doing that for, I don't know, the next 20, 30, whatever number of years. Of That's the, it's a funny thing you bring up about the difference between doing art for art's sake and having the meaning that drives the art or the art that drives the meaning. You yourself are still a youthful, you know, young 30-something-year-old, an independent filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Do you struggle with your subject matter? Do you ever reflect or do you see yourself past that point and now you can put this film together? Even though, you know, if you look at your cast, if you look at your crew, we're all kind of floating in that between 25 and 35-year-old range, putting together this piece of art, not just for art's sake. It's it's driving you guys. You know, this is a big independent film. Like Most independent films don't make it to the level that you're achieving. Do you see within the kind of your own cathartic development of your film do you reflect yourself do everyone does your crew kind of have a you know do you guys like have a drink at the end of the day and be like this is a little bit too like we're living it and we're filming it and you know it's kind of all encompassing Oh, there was definitely that uh, during production. I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of division between departments or between like, you know, the producers and, and the cast and the crew. Like pretty much at the end of every day, we would kind of get together, as you said, and have some food and have a, a couple of drinks and watch the rushes and just, you know, laugh and, and kind of, it was definitely like a kind of family spirit around it. I don't know. I don't feel like I've proven anything necessarily by by making this but i think that we did have a hell of a good time doing it and i think that the people who worked on it sort of feel connected or feel like they they had a kind of emotional or or kind of like a, a resonant almost not spiritual experience but like a you know a kind of really substantial social and kind of uh culturally impactful experience by sort of coming together and everyone kind of collaborating but i i don't necessarily know if i feel like the like i've achieved anything in terms of having you know i mean we set out to make the movie and we did and we finished it and now we're showing it and so that part of it uh feels good but i definitely don't feel like i've gotten to any place where i sort of feel like i've made it or like i kind of know what the next step is i'm definitely always in that period of in that place of questioning i guess where and I think we all are. Yeah. And I think that's an opportunity for you to realize that that's actually a stage of growth. Because once you feel like that you're comfortable in what you're doing and everything around you hasn't really changed, that's something to be appreciated. 
for sure. But then I think at a certain age, and I would say we're about the same age, you, you kind of have this other secondary thought being like, well, I'm still capable of doing so much more. And I want to do so much more and I'm able to do so much more. So it, it, there's always kind of what do I do to progress or what do I do to change? You know, I don't think that's um, an age thing. Ultimately, I think ultimately people forever are always you're either that kind of person or you're not. You know, what are the next steps for this film? You're showing it now. How are you evolving with this stage now? So the production's been over for a couple of years now. This film finished 2015. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. So you are now currently touring it, essentially. You're like a rock band, you know? You're like putting your album out there. It's your film. You're independent filmmakers. You know, this is your art form. How do you evolve with it now? Now that you've kind of seen it in the hands of so many different publishers or, or people that are kind of, not necessarily publishers, but like screening it and, and, and you're showing it to people, how, what changes now with it? What, you know, what do you see now that you didn't see before? What, what are you going to do, you know, following this? Like what's, I know you say you don't know, but you kind of have an idea, I'm sure. Yeah, I I guess I do have sort of an idea. You know, I think I, I, I like this movie. Like I watched it again recently as I was sort of prepping some of the deliverables for this tour. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I think that the one thing, you know, when you sort of finish a movie and, and um, you feel like it was some sort of modest success, like basically you sort of achieve what you set out to do. And it's like, oh, I should do something bigger next, or I should do something more commercial, or I should do something a little bit more industry driven. And you know, I don't think I want to do that. I think that, you know, this film is, is sort of a strange one because it's funded by Telefilm Canada, but also Canada Council for the Arts. So it sort of has its, its feet in two camps a little bit in terms of its identity as like an art project and as a commercial kind of dramatic film. Um, so there's definitely a bit of an identity crisis there, which I really like about it, actually. But I don't think that for me as a storyteller that I want to go towards necessarily doing something more like a bigger project, a more a more mainstream narrative project. I think I want to do something even stranger. Um, so I don't, and kind of go, go more towards the arts council tradition, which is, which is a difficult thing to do because movies cost so much money to, uh, to make. But I think that that's like for, uh, as a creator, as a storyteller, that's kind of what I want to do in that respect. On the other hand, as a producer, as somebody who now has some experience in the industry, and I, I produced a film for my colleague Kyle Thomas in 2014 called The Valley Below that played at, at TIFF and, and all across Canada did very well and, and got two Canadian Screen Award nominations. And so we sort of got like a little bit of a, a taste for, for the industry with these two projects. And so I think as a producer of other people's work, I'm more able to kind of put on that hat where I can sort of say, you know, how can we imagine a bigger audience or how can we build a bigger funding structure for, for a more commercial or more traditional project? But for me as a storyteller, that's not the direction that I see myself going in. So I kind of ha want to be able to do these two different things, I guess, sort of concurrently or sort of, you know, each kind of leapfrogging off of, off of the other in a strange way going forward. And that's almost in a sense, it kind of leads to my next question about staying relevant. You know, you put out a film that takes years to sometimes make and then it takes years to sometimes show on top of that. How do you not get tired of pushing the one film and when you, the back of your brain is like, well, what's my next move? You know, how do you transition from not necessarily getting tired per se, but, you know, your brain eventually has to go, okay, 
this is one stepping stone. I got to get to the next stepping stone. How does that work? And how do you stay relevant doing that? Um, that's a great question. One of the ways is that I've sort of, I've, I always continue to make short films. Um, hey, that's a great answer. I'd love to see those. Okay. 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 I, I'll send you some links. Please, um, yeah. Uh, I made a short film like just last year that's called The New Canada. And we just, we made it with no money, just some friends. We went down to Buffalo, New York for a weekend, rented an Airbnb. And I said, let's, let's bring some cameras and we'll just, we'll shoot some stuff and then we'll sort of try and piece it together. I'll write a voiceover like I normally, and we'll just, we'll, we'll try and make something. And so we did that trip and we shot a bunch of stuff and, and came back with a, a whole kind of mixed bag of, of ideas. And then, yeah, we shot a little bit more here in Toronto and, and yeah, I cobbled it together into something that, uh, that has played a couple of festivals. It, it, uh, opened at the Vancouver Film Festival and and then won a prize at the Buffalo International Film Festival and CBC bought it. So um, again, it's like a project that we made with with nothing and no plan, basically that has managed to just to turn into a little something that can kind of continue to sort of just sort of keep the creative energies flowing, I guess. And um, so that's one way I think. And then also, I just. You know, and I, I definitely went through a period in my life where I would make a film and then a year later or two years later, I would look at it and say, oh, my God, like, that's just that's really not great work, you know. Um, but I th I think that I just I, something about the content and the approach that I take to filmmaking has changed over the last over the last few years as I've sort of grown up a little bit. This might sound like a dickhead thing to say, but I I just really like the work that I make, like the last couple of movies. I really, I think that they're great and I think that they age well and I just, I stand by it. So I think that that really helps. Was there a difference in time where people would tell you your work is good and you wouldn't necessarily agree with them fullheartedly? And now there's a point where you're saying, I really like this and I don't think you're a dickhead at all. I don't think it's a dickhead thing to say at all. There's something to be said about having confidence in your work. And I'm not saying that the best work comes out of confidence, but confidence helps the best ideas get to the forefront. So was there ever a point where people would be like giving you kind of their confidence in you and your work and you would kind of turn around and say, listen, I, I appreciate where this is coming from, but sometimes you didn't feel in your heart completely that it, you weren't giving the work that you wanted to give. Are you there now and can you see the difference? Um, I don't think I ever had a time when I feel like people were giving me a lot of support for work that didn't deserve it. I mean, I feel like people were saying that the work wasn't good enough. And I was saying, yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. You know, if you can sort of recognize that unless you're trying to make like th these very populous kind of accessible traditional narrative films that are targeted for a wide audience, then, you know, if that's your goal, then that, that's fine. It's, I think it's a little bit of an antiquated idea in this age of, of plurality where there's so much choice and there's so much content out there. But I think that I just sort of got my head basically around the idea that I, I, I don't want to make films for a broad audience. I want to make films for a specific audience. And I think I know who that audience is and trying to find ways to connect with those people. And then, and so basically I just, I think that once I sort of embrace the idea that if I can just sort of find the right audience for my work, then there's going to be a much more meaningful dialogue and um, just a sense that the work is valued and it's connecting with people. So... Can you touch a little bit more on who your audience is? Yeah, I think that my audience largely are people of kind of of my demographic, people interested in the arts, people interested in literature, in the history of uh, religion, in the history of sort of Western culture, I guess, in general, and sort of all of the oppressive weight that kind of comes with that in, in some contexts. I think, yeah, people who are interested in, in, in theater and in storytelling and in this sort of... Uh, space between 
traditional narrative and uh, sort of experimental uh, aesthetic play. So I, uh, I, I guess that was kind of a long rambling list. You know, people are interested in existentialism, uh, you know, things like this. Uh, there's definitely kind of an academic, a slight kind of academic framing to the work that might put some people off. But then who cares? I mean, I, you know, I think that it'll draw an equal number of people in. And those are the people that I'm trying to connect with who I think will you know, get something out of the film. Now, that brings me to an interesting point. Your demographic, which is essentially us. Yeah. We live in a day and age where the film industry isn't as favorable as it once used to be. Do you agree or disagree? I don't know exactly. I think that if, uh, I think that if you have a product and you kind of know your audience, I think it's a great time to be an independent filmmaker. Great answer. Now, do you think that the way we go about promoting films has changed. Is that therefore the films themselves have changed or say the way that actors can be in short films, they can be in independent projects and they can kind of incorporate their art into your art. Is that kind of a reflection on the change of the film in today's kind of media driven industry where you have the social media, you have television and all these different mediums that are essentially on the forefront more so than film is. Yeah. I think you're totally spot on with that. I think it's a really exciting time. I think that some people are figuring out how to do it very effectively to sort of like mix media and have these sort of uh, cross-platform uh, tie-ins with you know, as you mentioned, with between television or, or comics or, or uh, advertising, you know, there's lots of ways that you can sort of build your, your, your media mix, like the media ecology around a project and, and, and really, you know, push that through social media in, in interesting ways. I don't think there's a lot, there aren't that many people who are doing it really well yet. Um, I think that it's still kind of a, a bit of a nascent form, uh, at least here in the West. But I think there's a lot of opportunity there, and I think that it's exciting to see to see some of the stuff that that people are are doing. I sort of tapered off there a little bit. That's okay. I like that approach. You know, you're saying that, yes, things have changed, but not necessarily for the worse, but for the better. And you are, I would say, from what I understand without seeing your film, that you're almost essentially doing that in your film itself, being able to showcase other art forms, other artists uh, throughout your one art form and encompassing all the other you know, uh, social art forms that have to kind of bring it to its final destination. So it's amazing how it's kind of got this flipped on its own head approach. And yet, once it's done and it's out in the theaters, like we're all discussing now, we're incorporating different arts again to bring it to the forefront. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, you know, there is there's a long scene in an art gallery. There's a storyline that follows the photographer going around taking pictures. There's a sequence where people sort of read these pieces of, of poetry or personal reflection or share a, a private object with their friends in sort of a like almost like a cabaret style way. So I think that it definitely reflects my interest in different art forms. And, you know, I guess that maybe that's why I got interested in cinema in the first place is just because it does sort of combine aspects of of uh, photography, uh, literature, uh, performance, obviously. Um, so I guess that maybe I'm, I'm tr the film is just sort of trying to honor that and 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 celebrate that. I think in a way. Let's touch on your influences. When I get this kind of contemporary look at your film, and I say contemporary because it brings me back to like a '60s '70s art film, just from the the trailers I've seen. Uh, specifically, "Sympathy for the Devil," "Devil" by uh, Jean Luc Godard. 
again, it's probably one of the only art films I could ever say I've ever watched front to back. And I, and that's mostly due to the Rolling Stones being involved. But it's that essential art form, the mo- film that brings to light to the forefront, the music, the band. And then the, he even goes on these weird tangents of like people in fields and photography and just like what mini art films within the art film and that's kind of the feeling i get from you it's almost like a throwback in its own sense which is like kind of the modern way of looking at film what is it coming from where do we get influence from where are your influences from where did film first come into your life well, that's a great question. You know, I grew up in Ottawa, Ontario, and, you know, I worked at Blockbuster uh, Video in high school. So, like, a lot of my upbringing was very traditional, very kind of like Hollywood, you know, normal narrative, straight ahead drama, comedy, uh, until I went to Concordia for film school. And then they sort of really kicked my ass um, as like a, you know, 18, 19 year old. Like, I was, I had my mind blown when I was shown uh, stuff from, you know, like you mentioned, like, Godard and other, you know, Fellini, other European art cinemas, and definitely the American cinema, like gritty independent films of the 1970s, um, like Five Easy Pieces and King of Marvin Gardens. And, I love Five Easy Pieces. Yeah, it, me too. It's, it's fantastic and definitely an influence on this film. And I think that one of the things that kind of came out of my experience of, of really enriching myself in, in sort of these like uh, art film traditions, like you mentioned Godard, for example, and I, I remember watching uh, the weekend and listening to the audio commentary by Mike Figgis, who directed leaving Las Vegas. And, and he made this really great point that really stuck with me where he was sort of, he's talking about the film and he says, you know, the thing that I love about Godard is that, and I'm paraphrasing of course, but it's something like this where he says, you know, the thing I love about Godard is like, I can be so engaged and so involved in a sequence or one storyline. And then he can just go off and do something like that. I find, kind of intensely boring for a while and my mind wanders off and the movie's still sort of washing over me in a way, but you know, I'm not really interested. And then it'll just change again and sort of like snap me back into it. And I think that what uh, Figures was talking about is that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And why do we, you know, we have all these assumptions that based on the sort of Hollywood tradition that we've inherited here in the West, that films need to be super engaging all the time and they need to be really flashy and they need to have your interest at every, at every second. And the thing about, and you know, when I heard the Figgis quote about Godard, I thought, of course, that's perfect. Like, and that's, that's why I like going to all sorts of different performances. Like, for instance, when I go and see a dance show or or even certain types of theater shows, my mind is wandering all the time. And I, you know, and in the the performance is kind of, I'm experiencing it almost like in a dreamlike state because I'm thinking about um, a film or or just sort of having a kind of a daydream type of experience. And I think that's great. And I think that sort of embracing that idea and applying it to cinema can be really can be really empowering, I think, for for audiences and for creators to sort of think that um, we can we can do things differently and we can experience films differently. And it doesn't always need to be this sort of amped up, uh, very kind of plot driven experience that we're familiar with uh, from American films. So so that was definitely a big influence on me embracing the idea that that films can kind of have a different energy and a different rhythm and can sort of can be boring at points or can be annoying even um with some of their some of their techniques or and sort of the way that that empowers viewers to kind of be engaged in a different way and think about what they're doing as 
spectators and why are they feeling this way? What are they thinking? It's just, it's a much more engaging type of, of cinema rather than having the film kind of do all the work for you. You sort of ask the viewer to do a lot of the work, I think. And that's one of the things that I think is really exciting about, uh, about movies. And for me, that's definitely something that I've, that I'm working on with O'Brazen Age, I think. And it seems like today more than ever, blockbusters aren't doing as well as they used to in the sense that it's all comic book driven now. You might have, you know, a big Transformers film, but after the fourth one, you get to a point where it's just like, I need to take a step back. I need to have, you know, my wandering mind kind of be more enticed, maybe with a thriller, with a drama. But there's also a big difference between a big budget blockbuster and what it's trying to get across and an independent film. And I think even in independent films where there's a lot of twists or like you said, things change with within your storyline, with when within your shots, you know that to me, in my interest in film today, may have changed from the last ten, fifteen years. But that's just as interesting because my wandering mind either needs a film that's going to be like a Todd Solence, or uh, you know, if if anyone's ever seen Palindrome or Welcome to the Dollhouse, that kind of uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, one of my favorites. Happiness uh, is fantastic. Oh, so. Um, yeah, I, I'm, his name uh, slips my mind, the Blanc, uh, oh my God, Truman Capote, but what's his real name? He just passed away, the actor from Happiness, the blonde guy, three Phil, names. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Phil, thank you. No problem. Alexander Carson. <laughs> um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably his best performance. Schenectady, New York, also these amazing kind of really interesting, almost independent fi- feel to them, I'll say. But uh, it keeps the wandering mind on track. Do you do you find that you have to kind of plan within your own film? You know, this is a long drawn out art scene, but I'm really trying to draw in my audience for this next big scene. Do you kind of have this kind of approach to dealing with the wandering minds of today's audience? Because you know your audience. And, you know, if we're kind of touching on our own demographic, our wandering minds are more wandering than they've ever been. Right. I think that's a good point. Um, maybe that's partly why I kept the film short. You know, it's only 80 minutes. Um, it's divided into five specific chapters with kind of uh, chapter title cards in between just to sort of just to sort of give the viewer a bit of a chance to reset and be like, OK, now something different is going to happen. Because without that, I think the, the film might be a little bit a little bit too meandering. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that I'm definitely trying to uh, it is kind of episodic. I, I don't know if that was structurally intended to sort of keep people interested, but it is sort of a way to, to frame it to sort of give people an understanding of, you know, OK, every 10 to 20 minutes, a chapter is going to end and something new ish is going to is going to begin and the, the whole rhythm can change. And that's one of the things I do like about about the film is that the five chapters are all very different uh, in terms of how they're structured, the amount of kind of comedy involved versus some of them are more serious, obviously, than others. Some of them are more poetic and some of them are more literal. Some of them have a lot of music and some of them don't. You know, I think that there's a really interesting uh, one of the things that I'm working on is trying to kind of play with a, a principle of unevenness with the film overall. So that that has to do with everything in terms of uh, performance, narrative structure, where I'm trying to sort of undo, you know, as I was speaking about just a few moments ago, trying to undo some of the work that's been done to sort of establish a really rigid kind of framework for how movies are made in especially in North America and just sort of um, invite viewers 
into a world that is sort of predicated on this principle of unevenness where you're constantly being asked to revise your expectations of what you're watching and how you feel about it and and what might be next. I mean, it's it's never very clear whether this is going to be, a, you know, an adventure film or a, a love story or a revenge uh, plot or, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's definitely trying to, um, yeah, trying to empower, empower the viewers to kind of be willing to sort of, uh, yeah, be willing to sort of reimagine the film constantly as, as it goes. Is this your, is this a full feature? Yeah, it's a full feature. Is yeah. this your first full feature? It's my first full feature as a director. Yeah. What's the difference between making a short film and now progressing into full feature? Um, well, I mean, obviously the scale of the production is, is very different on a feature. Like you have to plan things out a little bit more, which I found a, kind of tedious, to be honest. I mean, I'm much, much more used to working in this kind of fast and loose way that, um, that was born out of, yeah, out of making these kind of scrappy art films at Concordia in, in Montreal. And, and that's not really how people like to make movies necessarily in Toronto. So we def it was definitely um, a, a juggling act and a little bit of a compromise in terms of of the workflow, in terms of you know how how much planning was required, just at really purely out of necessity for scheduling for budgetary reasons, etc. But so that would be a main difference. Um, but I tried to keep as much in line with the, the sort of aesthetics and the sort of like family feel of, you know, working with my friends and my family um, that I've always sort of brought to the short filmmaking process. So it was about making certain concessions and changing to accommodate this, the different scale of the project, but also trying not to change too much, um, really, because, you know, I've seen examples in the past where a short filmmaker makes a great a great film and then they get a chance to make a, a feature and they think, oh, now I, now I have to make a movie the way that movies are supposed to be made. And I really didn't want to do that. First of all, I don't think I'd be very good at that. Like, you know, I, I just, I don't think the film, like my approach to the kind of content and the kind of storytelling and aesthetics that I'm interested in wouldn't necessarily translate very well to that kind of uh, sort of direction. Um, but also I didn't want to do that on almost like a fundamental kind of personal level where I think that so much of the energy and the ethos and the kind of the heart that made some of my more recent short films successful and well liked and and the reasons why I like them the are the the very are very connected to that. Um I just I wanted to keep that for the future. So so it was definitely a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of compromise but also sort of sticking to my guns when I could, whenever possible. Can you touch on uh, a little bit more on the resources that have become available to you, whether telefilm or otherwise, that's helped you become the filmmaker you're striving to be in Toronto, in Canada. Sure. Um, I would have to say uh, telefilm has been fantastic and they've supported, they supported this film. They've supported the release of this film. Uh, they also supported um, the previous film that I worked on, The Valley Below, directed by Kyle Thomas, that I mentioned a little bit earlier, that did did very well here in Canada. So they've been big supporters of of our careers as we've sort of transitioned from shorts to features. Um, but also the Canada Council for the Arts has been a huge supporter of my work sort of throughout. And they funded this, pro this project at the writing stage, also at the production stage. 
also when touring to festivals um they've just they've been they've been huge that i got my first grant from the canada council when i got out of film school in 2005 and you know um it's a very competitive process and i definitely don't get everything that i apply for and i apply for a lot from them but they've they've been huge so i think recognizing the importance of the sort of art council tradition in independent filmmaking yeah is something that i feel strongly about and i think that uh, i would you know, I think it's fantastic that their budget is increasing um, over the next few years and that they're going to hopefully be able to support more projects. And, and I just think that that's the direction that I would like to see Canadian filmmaking go is more towards a kind of personal filmmaking, more towards a regional filmmaking where movies are connected to a sense of place. And that sense of place doesn't necessarily need to be downtown Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal. Yeah, more sort of yeah, more personal projects that are that are sort of rooted in experience. Uh, rooted in a kind of a connection to culture, to geography uh, across Canada. And, and um, yeah, I feel strongly about that. And I think that that's the, a lot of the best work that I'm seeing. You know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that I do get to go to a bunch of film festivals. And um, I was at the Vancouver Film Festival this year with the short film that I mentioned previously, The New Canada. And I got to see a whole bunch of really great films by emerging Canadian filmmakers, both shorts and features. A lot of really great features that are sort of operating outside the box and, you know, telling these kind of personal stories that I'd like to see championed more. And it definitely feels like there's something happening in this country. And I think that it's really exciting. And I like that approach that you're a Toronto filmmaker making films for Canada. I get that idea. Well, for the world, obviously. But I mean, like I just mentioned earlier, you're kind of like a traveling rock star right now. You're taking this film and going through festivals. You're doing screenings all over Canada, which is a big deal. I mean, the Canadian film industry is vast and it's coast to coast, especially with New York and L.A. being so close from the border to our resources. And we get a little bit of a, an extension through them. But I think from what I understand and comprehend from what you're saying is Canada is just a strong we need to understand that it's a whole nation putting films together and the best experience will rise to the top together. The best is going to make sure the best is doing the best work. Now, I know that's a little confusing in the sense that if somebody's as good as they are in Vancouver and someone as good as in Toronto, they're going to find each other and they're going to make work in Canada together. It doesn't, you know, with technology, with with the the industry kind of changing and evolving, there's nothing stopping a Vancouver editor working on a Toronto film or vice versa or something like that. And I think there needs to be a more understanding of the resources that we're all in this together. And I like the idea that you're mentioning Vancouver Film Festival and you're mentioning how it's a lot of these other cities and provinces that are giving Toronto a name, just like we give Vancouver a name. You know, we can only give ourselves a name so much on our own. It really takes other cities throughout our nation to kind of come together and the best will connect with the best to produce the best work. It doesn't matter where you're from, especially today, especially with the Internet. Do you find that? You know, you, you have such a family-oriented crew. You have such a family-oriented filmmaking experience. Is it hard to kind of 
look beyond your core group of people and and move this film to other places and you know trust other people is there ever that kind of issue like i know my people i i trust this family you know what does it take to be a part of that family and what does it take to grow or even extend because once this film is done does that family stay together uh that's a great question i mean uh, you know it really depends on the project i guess i would say i would say definitely on a, on a social level uh, and in terms of building a sense of community I think that everyone who worked on Obrey's and Age, uh, I would like to think that they feel pretty good about the experience and pretty good about the, the film that we made and would want to, you know, join forces again for the next project or for a project down the line. But I think that, you know, um, in terms of meeting new people, meeting new people and expanding the network and sort of growing the sense of, of momentum sort of across across the country in terms of the kind of filmmaking that, that we're talking about here, this more sort of independent, uh, personally driven filmmaking. I think this is why it's so great to go to film festivals and to sort of be part of the conversation. And I, I just, I love it when I go and I see my friends or, you know, and by my friends, I don't mean people that I talk to all the time, but people whose work I've sort of followed over the years as they've kind of built their career, maybe in, in, in different places all across the country, like, uh, Trevor Anderson in Edmonton or Ashley McKenzie in, in Cape Breton and being able to kind of occasionally cross paths with these people, see their new work at a festival and, and really be happy when you see the, their films succeeding. And I think that, I think that's just, that's so cool. I feel really lucky to be part of that. And I feel really excited by the quality of work that I'm seeing coming out across the country. I'm excited for you, Alexander. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of opportunities for me to speak to filmmakers and I get a sense from you that you're doing the right things and not just from your, you know, press packages that you've sent us and the stuff that I've seen, but it's the people you're working with, the people that have put us together. We got connected through Alexandra, through the Crazy Eights Film Festival in Vancouver. So it's, it's again, that kind of uniting of West Coast to East Coast. So I really thank you so much for coming today. I'm really excited to see your film and to see, you know, what comes from it. Can you touch a little bit on where we can see it? when it becomes wider in release, uh, the Toronto uh, screening that's happening this weekend, as well as it may be other places people can check it out nationally. Yeah, sure. So we're playing a week at the Carlton Cinemas here in Toronto. Yes. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's a great venue. Um, we're opening on Friday, March 24th, and we have two screenings every day. So that's a 2 p.m. matinee and a 7 p.m. Uh, screening in the evening. And that's every day for a week from the 24th to the 30th. And then uh, I'm sort of going on a little mini tour um, starting in Montreal. We're screening it at uh, Concordia University, uh, which is my alma mater. I'm really excited to be going back there and presenting the film on the 29th, March 29th at 7 p.m. at Concordia. And then we're at in Calgary. We're at the Globe on April 1st, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Sunday night, uh, April 2nd, we're at the Metro Cinema in Edmonton. Tuesday, April 4th, we're at Van City Theatre in Vancouver, and that's 6.45 p.m. And then we're in Ottawa the very next night, which is my hometown, and that's at the Bytown Cinema at 9 o'clock. So that's the extent of our run. I know that was a lot. No, please. Is there a website? Yeah, if you go to obrazenage.com, that's the official website. Our handles on uh, Twitter and Instagram are at nccinema.com. Just one word, just like that. And uh, yeah, the people from the great people at First Weekend Club and Canada Screens are helping us to sort of promote and, and produce this tour. And the film will actually be coming out online for VOD 
which is a you know a rental platform. The Canada Screens platform is uh, relatively new. It's kind of like a Canadian iTunes for for all Canadian films, and it, it's a really great venture. And I think that it, hopefully more people get to find out about it. And uh, Obrey's and H will be on there for an exclusive window starting. Um, middle of April sometime. So if people want want to rent it from the comfort of their home, then uh, that's the place to find it is canadascreens.ca. It's hosted through the National Film Board, and it's a really great, uh, really great project that we're super happy to be part of. Congratulations, Alexander. Thank you so much, Alex. This, hard, has been, oh, this has been great. Yeah, hard work pays off. You know, like I need people to really understand that filmmaking, especially in Canada, is probably one of the hardest, if not hardest, art form to see to fruition, through fruition, to get from beginning to the end. It's a long, argu- arduous process, but there's clearly a reason. And, you know, Alexander's perfect example of the drive and the art that can come out of some amazing resources and some amazing storytellers and artists that are in Canada. So keep making some amazing films. Don't forget where you came from, Alexander Carson. And uh, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Never Sleeps Network's Ross Never Sleeps. Uh, Alexander, Obrazen Age comes out uh, next week, basically. This week, the day that you can listen to this episode is the day that uh, you can see Obrazen Age in Toronto and the coming weeks all throughout Canada. And of course, you're, you're ending it in Ottawa at home. That's kind of a, a full circle for you. That's exactly right. And you know what, Alex, I'd like to just say one more thing. You sort of pointed out how difficult filmmaking is, and it is really a challenging thing to do in some ways. But I also, I, I get tired of hearing that when I go to film festivals and everyone kind of gets up on stage and says, oh, you know, it was just, it was a real grind making this movie and everyone suffered and nobody got paid. And that, well, you know, some of that's true, but it's also like, it's such a cool thing to get to do. And so I feel really privileged to be able to make movies in this country. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I feel really blessed. Good. That's that's what I want to hear. I think that's what everybody wants to hear. If you're if you yourself think that you're doing this for the right reasons and that's what drives you, keep doing it. Because, you know, even through the trials and tribulations, you're always going to find the positive. You're always going to better yourself in your art form and you're going to have fun doing it. If you're not having fun, anybody out there listening to this right now, filmmaker, artist or otherwise, if you're not having fun doing your art, you should really be questioning your art. You know, move forward to another art form that's actually going to bring you more happiness happiness. I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I continue doing what I do just because I love it and it gives me a lot of joy. And I think that there needs to be said something said about, yes, times are going to be tough. There's going to be times where you're going to question yourself, your art, the people. It, it comes with the territory, but there's amazing filmmakers and independent filmmakers and independent artists and artists who are doing what you are doing. And if they do it, you can do it. And if they've done it, you are doing it. Keep doing it. You know, it's it's so hard to motivate people, especially in this kind of format. But go see O'Brazen Age. Go enjoy art for art's sake. Go see a band. Go see a live comic. Go sometimes get out of your element and see what other people are doing so you can really just come back, ingest, enjoy, and then make more art. Because that's what it's really all about. All right. Never <laughs> sleepers. Okay, I, think, I think we got as deep as we got we could get today with Alexander Carson from O'Brazen Age. Never sleepers. Sleep tight. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 